Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. I had been a senior staff writer at GQ Magazine, which then was under the editorship of Art Cooper, who was something of a legend. He had been there for close to 20 years. In the movie version, that guy would have been played by Sean Connery, you know, black turtleneck, black pants. They had a bottle of Grey Goose vodka on the desk. I was there for a little over two years. And in February 2002, Art Cooper retired. I think really he was retired. There was competition coming at GQ at that time for magazines like Maxim and FHM. And to oversimplify the perception, they needed new blood in there to run the book. And it didn't involve me. (laughs) I was in my late 20s. Our first son had just been born and we were pregnant with our second child. And you know, I was suddenly unemployed and I didn't know what I was going to do. I sent a handful of story ideas to Bob Wallace, the top editor at Men's Journal. Men's Journal at the time, it was similar to GQ, but with like an outdoorsy bent. I would say they had a fair amount of, you know, journalism with a capital J. And I go in, you know, to Bob's office. I, I, I was like ready for my first day of school with my little notebook and my printout of my story ideas, and I'm ready to discuss them. And I forget how he did it, but essentially he's like, yeah, we're not interested in any of those. And I was like, okay, what am, what am I doing here? He said something to the effect of like, what we'd really like to have is a piece on the Air Force Academy scandal. And I was like, yeah, who wouldn't, right? Like that was 2003. That was a huge deal. The past five months have been the most tumultuous in the history of the U.S. Air Force Academy. There are four separate investigations into the conduct of male cadets toward women at the Academy. Rape is acceptable, and don't say anything about it. I remember walking out of there and saying to a friend, like, yeah, he wants a piece on the Air Force Academy. It's like, great, you know, it's like war and peace, you know, like, can I give me a little more, like, what do you want? And he's like, you know, you, you can find something. You'll find it. And I was like, okay. From Justine Harmon and Audio Chuck, this is Killed, the podcast that brings dead stories back to life. Season 2, Episode 10, The Cadet. Sorry, I made the mis- I made the mistake of letting my dog in, and he was he was acting up by grabbing my socks off. Of the- Never mind. <laughs> okay, I'm back. Please welcome back to Killed, a man who needs no introduction but is going to get one anyway. 
My name is uh, Max Potter. I'm a contributing editor to Vanity Fair magazine. Last season, Max and his former writing partner, Alex French, told us about their trials and tribulations reporting on a powerful Hollywood director for Esquire. They laid out what they believed to be a matrix of how they perceived this culture. They literally did a diagram, like a chart. Brian Singer was at the center of that chart. We talked about the Singer piece last time. I guess that means I've been killed more than your average bear. Nothing, uh, nothing since Singer, so I'll keep my fingers crossed. That may be Max's most recently killed story, but it was hardly his first. Let's wind the clock back to the early aughts, shall we? Hello, I'm a Mac. And I'm a PC. New from Skechers. Max's then-wife is pregnant with their second son. And let's just say that Max is on the wrong side of employment. I was looking for work. You know, I, I, I needed to, <laughs> I needed to make some money and, um, I was really anxious. When men's journal editor, Bob Wallace suggests a meaty topic, rape at the Air Force Academy. In a decade, there was like something north of 140 reported cases of sexual assault or rape from cadets at the Air Force Academy. And a lot of the well-founded criticism was that not a single male cadet had faced any disciplinary uniform code of military justice charges related to this. Just as I was reading and sort of getting up to speed on the data points and the metrics of it all, it was announced that this kid, Douglas Meester, was going to be the first ever cadet tried in the military court system for rape. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if I could do the story and get the relevant parties to cooperate? And so I just started trying to get the story of that alleged crime. And that's how I started. And I reached out to Doug Meester's father, We talked for weeks. It could have been longer. And ultimately, it was Doug Meester's father who encouraged him to speak with me. And I flew down to Florida and, you know, found myself sitting across from this kid. There was a lot riding on this for the Department of Defense, the Air Force, the Air Force Academy, I mean, this was the case, and this was the kit, and it was a big deal. At the time, it was a big deal. 20-year-old Douglas Meester was set to be the first Air Force cadet ever prosecuted for cadet-on-cadet rape. If found guilty, he faced a possible sentence of life in prison. Max remembers that the Meesters seemed like they'd been shouting into a void when he'd reached out. Surely they'd been advised by lawyers not to speak to the press. But they also couldn't wait till after a trial to do so. That would be too late for Douglas, 
who also happens to be Gossip Girl actor Leighton Meester's older brother. The Meester family didn't have a lot of faith in the military justice system at that time. And I think their suspicions were very well-founded. If you just looked at the general mix of, of what the Air Force Academy could have taken action on, it really just was odd that this was the one they picked. And he knew this. The Meesters knew this. And even the alleged victim's family knew this. I remember talking to, to her mother, and she felt like the Air Force Academy and, and the Air Force itself specifically picked this case because they wanted to eviscerate the alleged victim. Their strategy was, if we can eviscerate her credibility, if we can show that this was, in quotes, you know, a false accusation, that then thereby undermines, potentially, the case of 140-plus others. Like, this was pretty insidious. I think the Meesters knew this. I think they felt like they were headed toward you know, basically being thrown into the wood chipper. And they were looking for anything that could help get get the truth out. They weren't afraid of getting into the details. I think what they were afraid of was not getting into the details and being scapegoated. It was really bizarre that that same sentiment was shared by the alleged victim's family. Like it was almost like neither side wanted this case to move into a military court. That in and of itself is compelling. In other words, it was too late for the alleged victim to bow out. That ship had sailed. You know, Jacqueline, the alias of the alleged victim, she didn't have control. Nobody had control except for the Air Force brass. She had filed a complaint, and it had triggered the process. And she would have been called as a witness. She would have been put on the stand. And based upon the documents, internal documents that I got a hold of at the time that were not public, she herself gave quotes that more or less indicated, you know, he kissed me, I kissed him back. She said, quote, I know for a fact that he probably thought what we were doing was consensual because I know that I was responding to what he was doing, i.e. if he would kiss me, I would kiss him back. End quote. The whole thing was just bizarre. And if you looked at the, the internal documents, the Air Force's own investigators on the case, they recommended that no court-martial be applied to Douglas Meester. And the guy who was in charge of the Air Force Academy at the time, he overrode the recommendation and he decided to push this case forward on his own, unilaterally. You know, it's one of those stories where the more you get into it, it becomes like an X-ray of what's really happening. Yet you're sort of like checking yourself, like, wait, am I, am I a crazy conspiracy theorist? Something's not right here. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, 
I'm okay. When the truth is... I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say... Hang it in there. Because... If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. The living room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant high-performance furniture from Ashley Store is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley Store's high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, comfortable, and easy to clean for more mess and less stress. Shop the life-resistant high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. This is Killed, the podcast that brings dead stories back to life. The more Max reported, the more the thrust of his story became clear. The whole thing was a sham. Orchestrated theater intended to exonerate the U.S. Air Force Academy while annihilating two of its own. When I embarked on this, I thought, this dude is is cooked, right? Like, if under these circumstances, this is the first cadet the Air Force is going to put on trial, he's got to be like so clearly, unequivocally, without question, there must be like Polaroids, like this guy is going down. And it was the opposite. My working hypothesis going in was, boy, oh boy, you know, here's going to be a story about the Air Force Academy finally doing the right thing and putting somebody on trial who should be on trial with an alleged victim who really wants this to go. And it was none of that. It was a show. Max was going deep. Behind every door was a new shadow element to a story that had so recently felt just like words on a page and now felt like this living, breathing ecosystem. In the course of my reporting, I talked to someone who was a volunteer for essentially a rape crisis center, a sexual assault crisis center. And this is in Colorado Springs. And his name was Richard Stites. I meet Richard on the auspices of reporting, you know, this Air Force Academy story. He was probably at the time in his late 50s. There was a sadness to this guy. Just exuded sweetness and a broken heart. I mean, it was... Obvious. When you meet somebody like that, at least I do, you can't help but wonder, like, what makes a heart like that tick? And we end up back at his his family's home. And he had uh, a stack of, like, documents on the dining room table. And he, he starts to talk about his son, Nolan Stites, who in 2000 had started boot camp for the United States Army at Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri. And his son was like the poster boy for the kind of kid you would want to go into the Army. By all accounts, had the personality of a Boy Scout, was an avid hunter. He was an army of one, this kid. But he also had, you know, a code of ethics and a sense of gentleness. The kind of kid you want to be in the Army. 
Nolan Stites goes in like July of 2000 and he, he suffers a breakdown. And the abridged version is in word and in deed, this kid, Nolan Stites, begged, and I mean begged, for mental health assistance. And instead, what he got was essentially this sort of code red. His drill instructors, you know, basically encouraged his fellow trainees to help Nolan get his ass in gear. And it got to the point where the drill instructor said, Private Stites, Nolan's drill sergeant shouted, according to three people who were present that day. The men are losing sleep. I'm not going to have a tired soldier get hurt while training because he's been up watching you. If you're going to kill yourself, get it over with. We'll even open the window for you. Like that, that's a quote. They had agreed that this kid should be sent home. Like he needs help. But meanwhile, because of like red tape and bullshit, he was there for at least another 10 to 11 days. And the whole time he was basically being mentally harassed and ridiculed and having drill instructors say this kind of stuff to him. And he killed himself. Then and there, Max made Richard Stites a promise. I, I turned to him and I said, hey, I'm here to report this story on the Air Force Academy scandal. You know, that's how I found my way to you. But I promise you, if it's remotely possible, I'm going to do this piece. I'm pretty sure I first sent it to Tom Foster, who was then my editor at Men's Journal on this Air Force piece. And he's like, yeah, for whatever reason, like this isn't right for us, but let me send this to Will Dana at Rolling Stone, you know, like down the hall. And shortly thereafter, it was assigned by Rolling Stone. So now I have the two pieces going. The Air Force Academy story was complete at first. I turned in a draft. It definitely went through an edit, maybe two. What happened was that Bob Wallace was replaced and a new editor comes in. So I, I remember calling Tom and saying, hey man, like, what does this mean for the Air Force piece? And I remember him saying something like, you know, get your suit and tie ready because when this drops, you're, you're going to be on like the, the cable news networks. And I was like, great. I've been basically unemployed at this point for close to a year. And this was why I got out of bed in the morning, like to report the story. Like it gave me purpose. And I'm like, okay, great. So this thing's going to run. Cool. And then shortly thereafter, I get a call from Tom and he, he tells me the piece has been killed. 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 Dead. And I was told that it's not a reflection at all on the piece. It's just, you know, new editor in chief. He wants to do his own thing. So it was like, Nothing personal. <laughs> and, and it's always personal. As I'm looking around for a home for it, essentially there was a change at Rolling Stone. And I wasn't nearly as far along on the private states piece, but then that one's killed. Holy shit. 
And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I had been canned from GQ. I have a one-year-old son, another child on the way. I have spent the better part of a full year reporting these two stories. You know, my lovely wife at the time had taken a part-time job at Home Depot, like to help us cover the rent and the bills. And there were one or two occasions where she reasonably, and I need to emphasize that, like reasonably said to me, like, what are you doing? Like, there's these two stories, you know, even if they get published, it's not enough money. What are you doing? And I really didn't have a logical, rational explanation for her. It's just like, I got to do these stories. And I think I was put in that moment on these stories for a reason, and I wasn't going to let it go. The living room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant high-performance furniture from Ashley Store is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley Store's high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, comfortable, and easy to clean for more mess and less stress. Shop the life-resistant high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. I came to the Navajo Nation looking for answers after an indigenous elder vanished in the dead of night. But I soon found something else, a tangled web of violence and retaliation. It's survival out there. That's what it is. It's about survival. Those guys know something. I just think they're afraid to say it. People know you can get away with murder out there. I'm Connie Walker. Listen to Stolen, Trouble in Sweetwater on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Killed, the podcast that brings dead stories back to life. Max Potter had not one, but two dead stories. And by God, if he wasn't going to do everything in his power to resurrect them. I knocked on all the typical New York magazine doors. I I remember I went to Esquire. I didn't even get a response. This was during the time Media Bistro was a thing. And oh, by the way, I was also looking for a job and they had like a killer jobs board. And I saw this one posting for, if memory serves, it was for a writer at a city magazine in Denver called 5280. Max first sent the listing to a buddy, but then he had an idea. Wait a tick. Both of these stories are based in Colorado. Maybe, maybe this guy or the editor, whoever's running this fucking thing, would be interested in these in these pieces. And so I sent them to this guy, Dan Brogan, and I know that he read Conduct Unbecoming. The story about Douglas Meester. And he said yes to that on the spot, pretty much. And Stites was maybe in a first draft, but essentially he'd said, we'll publish both. And it was amazing. I had just been just a casualty of sort of this revolving door of top editors. And here was a, a guy, Dan Brogan. He recognized 
in my opinion, what these pieces were, which was journalism. And pretty much without blinking, dude says, I'd be proud to run these stories. And so then I said to him, hey, you know, more or less, this isn't why I reached out to you, but I see you have a posting for a senior writer. And and basically, I thought like, if this 5280 that he's running is committed to this sort of journalism, hey, um, fuck New York. I'm going to go where you can do good work. And that's how that started. Max would eventually move to Denver and become the executive editor of 5280, where he worked for nearly a decade. But the Meesters and Richard Stites, they weren't exactly thrilled by the change in publication. You said, uh, what magazine was it now? And I wasn't going to bullshit them. If the Air Force Academy story had run in Men's Journal, it's inherently on a larger platform, you know, particularly in like 2004, when magazines still carried a great amount of weight. And come on, Rolling Stone for, you know, private sites? Yeah, Rolling Stone's a BFD, you know? And and so now you're, what I'm telling them is, hey, they're going to run in 5280. They were disappointed. They were disappointed. There's no, there's no two ways about it. But Max urged the Meesters to stay the course. These were Douglas's first on-the-record responses to the allegations. Getting published was getting published. Yeah, they were disappointed. And I, and I just, I tried to convey to them what I believed. And what I believed is having your story out in full is a good thing. There was a time pressure. If they had any shot at having the case against their son reconsidered, they'd need the story to run before prosecutors could schedule a preliminary hearing. The Meester piece ran first because that was fully baked, and that ran in uh, February, March 2004 in 5280. And Stites ran in June, July 2004. They were like trees in the woods initially, you know, I remember Dan Brogan saying something like, you know, the tragedy here is, is that if, if Rolling Stone and Men's Journal had run these pieces, each of these subjects would have gotten the national attention that they deserve. And I remember saying to him distinctly, you know, let's give it some time here. These pieces really just haven't had time to percolate. And, you know, I, I still have faith that journalism matters. Three months after Max's piece was published in the March 2004 issue of 5280, the rape charge against Douglas Meester was dismissed. In a pretrial deal, Meester pled guilty to three lesser charges, dereliction of duty, conduct unbecoming an officer, and indecent acts. He was fined $2,000 and remained a cadet in the Air Force. I remember my phone ringing and it's Doug Meester senior, the dad. And obviously the, the day was dramatic. Like we all knew what was going on. And I stepped outside that back door into the alley and, uh, he conveyed to me very emotionally with tears. He could barely get the words out. He said, I just want to say, thank you. They dropped all the charges against my son. And I could be wrong, 
But I think that was the right decision. The pieces would each go on to be nominated for a National Magazine Award, the highest honor in journalism. This was a small mom and pop magazine. And uh, the admissions fee is, you know, not insignificant, right? And I remember going to Dan saying, hey, are you cool if, if we submit these? And he's like, yeah, go ahead. I didn't think they had a snowball's chance because they're coming from a magazine that, like, no one had heard of. But winning in ASME at that point doesn't really fucking matter. You know, when I die... <laughs> Uh, let's hope that's a way off. I believe I had a, a positive impact in that reporting and that fact-finding and that presentation of truth mattered in a real way. Every published story plants seeds in the minds of its readers. People who walk around with them in their heads, fixating over one detail or one image. Stories circulate. And they often contain messages only a few people notice. Like another dad, whose son died during boot camp, and who kept running up against closed doors due to something called the Ferris Doctrine, which indemnifies the government from lawsuits, and about which Max only touched on in the private Stites piece. I couldn't really go under the hood on that at that time. It was almost like a, a distraction. I remember saying to Richard, like, I'm going to circle back to this. And 20 years later, that's pretty much what happened. Two summers ago, I, I get a LinkedIn message from a Marine father, a former investigator for the Oxnard Police Department, a former LAPD cop, who tells me that he lost his son like less than two days after sending him to boot camp. The information that he's been given about the circumstances of his son's death does not add up to him as an investigator or as a human being. And the reason he's reaching out to me is because he's running up against an obstacle called the Ferris Doctrine. He found me because his daughter found a piece that I wrote almost 20 years ago that mentions Ferris Doctrine. And near as he can tell, I'm one of the only people that's written about it. Contact me if you're interested. And here, 20 years later, you want to talk about fate, right? 20 years later, the one fucking piece of unfinished journalism business that has stuck with me all that time, I get this LinkedIn message right away. I pretty much decided on the spot, like, yep, here we go. In December of 2022, Vanity Fair published Max's reporting about the Ferris Doctrine an obscure legal decision that has prevented active duty service members from suing the federal government for wrongful injury or death occurring outside of combat for over 70 years. If when Rolling Stone decided they didn't want to do private studies and I couldn't find a home for it and I gave up, that piece never runs. 20 years later, I don't do the Vanity Fair piece and I don't go under the hood on the Ferries Doctrine. That never happens. It's that cheesy cliche in life, right? Like you don't really have a choice of how life comes at you, but you have a choice on how you respond. And if an editor tells you your piece is killed and 
you accept that for whatever reasons you accept it, then it's killed. If you don't, you don't. Killed is an Audio Chuck production. Created and written by Justine Harmon. Edited by Alistair Sherman, with assistance from Ian Mont. Story production by Amanda Fitzsimons and Samantha Leach. With fact-checking by Barbara Keen and research from Lydia Horn. You can find links to all the published stories featured on the first and second seasons of Killed at killedstories.com. So, what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? The living room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant high-performance furniture from Ashley Store is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley Store's high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, comfortable, and easy to clean for more mess and less stress. Shop the life-resistant high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. I came to the Navajo Nation looking for answers after an indigenous elder vanished in the dead of night. But I soon found something else, a tangled web of violence and retaliation. It's survival out there. That's what it is. It's about survival. Those guys know something. I just think they're afraid to say it. People know you can get away with murder out there. I'm Connie Walker. Listen to Stolen, Trouble in Sweetwater on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. 